0: This Week in Oklahoma Politics on KOSU is sponsored by the State Chamber of Oklahoma.
1: For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel joining me over Zoom video conference. Governor Stitt is facing criticism over his decision to take his family on vacation in New Mexico after issuing a state of emergency with the looming winter storm. Upon returning, the governor encouraged Oklahomans to conserve energy as blackouts rolled across the state. Neva, what are your thoughts on the governor leaving during the emergency?
0: Well, I think, I think it somewhat gets dwarfed in the conversation. Uh, after 12 days of what we've experienced, uh, to To think about uh, the fact that, I mean, a governor is the chief executive of the state, 24-7, 365, I mean, when out of the state, obviously the lieutenant governor assumed some additional responsibilities, but in this case, uh, um, they knew, they were well aware of what was looming in terms of uh, uh, the weather conditions, uh, made, made provisions, uh, declared the state of emergency um, a week ago, a week ago on Friday, mm-hmm. and then uh, was back uh, back uh, for a uh, news conference Monday evening uh, and continuing to uh, talk about the preparations state officials were making. Uh, he also uh, then the next day, uh, this week on Tuesday, uh, asked the president uh, to declare a national disaster, which did occur on Thursday. Uh, the president did, in fact, um, uh, declare the emergency existed here in Oklahoma, Uh, It was a federal emergency declaration, meaning that the president ordered federal assistance to supplement the state, tribal, and local response efforts. So uh, that brings in FEMA, that brings in Homeland Security to coordinate uh, the relief efforts, and certainly good news for Oklahomans uh, that this has occurred. So. I I think when we see all that has taken place in recent days, and all that Oklahomans are experiencing uh, in the wake of this uh, enormous uh, double storm that we've that we've experienced, uh, the conversation about uh, the travel schedule of the of the governor seems to be kind of pale in comparison to the other conversation.
1: Ryan,
2: king of the unforced error, uh, you know the, the governor has known about this storm. Everybody's known about this storm, and Uh, Even though we've known about it, I don't think that until we were in it that we could fully appreciate just how difficult and dangerous and deadly the storm was going to be, the toll that it was going to take on Oklahomans, the toll that it was going to take on our infrastructure, everything from the the power grid to water main breaks uh, that have threatened water supplies across the state, but even in large metropolitan areas with thousands of Oklahomans. Um, now, in, in fear of losing water, uh, if they haven't lost their water already, uh, there's you know, still the, the looming prospect of uh, rolling blackouts, even though those have gone down quite a bit since uh, since the, the real um, the coldest temperatures that we faced this week. And then the governor's on <clears throat> on vacation. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, I I love New Mexico dearly. Uh, I, I would spend a heck of a lot more time there if I could. Uh, And so I don't I don't begrudge the governor for going to New Mexico on a vacation, but to go uh, at the the front end of a storm like this, um, when so many other Oklahomans are suffering uh, and so many folks that are under his charge and employ are out doing very difficult and sometimes dangerous work uh, to be out skiing. Uh, and even if it wasn't that, it's the first week uh, of the first few weeks of the legislative session. Um, I, I I don't get it. Uh, I don't give the governor a hard time at all for wanting to go on vacation with his family. This was just not the time to do it. Kudos to local uh, the local blog uh, uh, and news site. The Lost Ogle, former legal client of mine uh, for getting that that story out there from uh, what, what they call their Ogle moles. They send in photos. Somebody sent in the photo of the governor. So, I mean, they broke that. I, I agree with Neva. The overall conversation here is going to be a conversation about infrastructure, mm-hmm. power grids, water uh, moving forward. But you know, here again, the governor uh, spent a lot of the headlines uh, you know, talking about this. This was a this was something the governor had to talk about. And he just didn't have to. Uh, they could have canceled that. The rest of his family could have gone. He could have stayed behind and uh, he wouldn't have had, he had to deal with this. So again, it's just this unforced error on his part. Um, That's kind of typical of this administration. I will say that I think one of the reasons that we see so many unforced errors from the governor is that there's not a, you know, there's not a real sense that he's going to face any political consequences for it. I mean, he can do this. People can be upset about it. Twitter will get outraged. But will it play into a Republican primary or a general election? Probably not.
1: Oh, and I do have a question. You- oh, go ahead, Raniva.
0: Well, you know, in kind of furthering this conversation about uh, any governor taking a vacation, I mean, I think what we've seen historically in Oklahoma, if we think back, I mean, we have uh, we've seen uh, the travel by the governor um, and the governor's family. I mean, in in many previous administrations, always kind of come up and and be a source of controversy. I mean, I think that the fact that the governor has to travel with uh, a security, has to travel, um, and you know, be equipped to continue to conduct business uh, where wherever the governor is uh, in inside the 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 United States or abroad, I think it is important to note that in this day and age, it's no different than the president of the United States not being physically at the White House. Or in Washington D.C., so maintaining the ability to conduct every level of business, every level of decision making, uh, in the wake of a, a pandemic, in the wake of a natural disaster, in the wake of the the storms that we're seeing this week across the country. I mean, this is not uh, not just unfortunately Oklahoma experiencing this, but uh, um, uh, folks throughout the you know throughout the nation. And so I you know I think I think uh, it's easy to take a shot. Uh, when uh, when the timing was it was what it was but there also is the point to be made that uh, this had that this had been a planned trip whether the trip was cut short or not has not been indicated one way or the other but I think we need to stay focused on the fact that it appears that that the agencies the Department of Emergency Management Homeland Security ODOT the Highway Patrol all of the all of the uh, state and local agencies and the coordination that is needed to happen has uh, appeared to be uh, seemingly flawless and i think that uh, i think that is uh, the focus that we need to have is uh, um, paying attention to the good job that these folks are doing across the board uh, in wake of this wet weather emergency that we're experiencing
1: Lawmakers are getting more money to spend than originally anticipated. The Equalization Board approved expenditure authority of more than $9.6 billion for the 2022 fiscal year, an increase of nearly $1.2 billion from the amount used in the governor's executive budget from December. Ryan, what could this mean for state agencies?
2: I think it's unclear right now what it's going to mean for state agencies, and, and you know, I think that this is especially good news. I mean, uh, I think that coming a, a year into the pandemic at this point, um, and seeing the revenue numbers that you know we anticipated at the outset of the pandemic, to to be in a situation now where the budget looks to be in as good of shape as you could possibly imagine uh, at the back. I say at the back end at this moment in the pandemic. We're certainly not at the back end of the pandemic, but at the at this moment in the pandemic. Um, So this is this is really good news for lawmakers. And you saw several reports in the media where lawmakers uh, were were pretty exuberant about uh, this news, um, because I I think that for them, the prospect of having to cut agencies' uh, budgets is, is certainly not one that anyone up there enjoys well i say that there are some folks up there that enjoy it but <laughs> uh, but for the most part people don't enjoy cutting these agency budgets uh and that's uh yeah, so they're they're not they're not looking at that uh now as we've mentioned on this show and I, as i've mentioned on this show for years agency funding is still well below uh levels that were accomplished over a decade ago and the pandemic has only highlighted a lot of uh, shortcomings in our infrastructure, uh whether that's our, our public health in, infrastructure, um, uh, but in particular, or unemployment infrastructure, those are those are things that we see have really you know, risen to the top is we've got to deal with this. This is something we have got to tackle as a state. And you know we have we have seen um you know we we've seen that there have been um, you know calls from a couple of lawmakers even to consider this news uh, as an invitation to start looking at tax cuts, uh, you know, possible tax relief uh, coming up this legislative session, I think that that's going to be a really difficult push, uh, especially given you know the the need to invest in infrastructure and you know, think to pay for new spending items like Medicaid expansion. I think that the governor uh, had some some very the governor had some you know, very smart uh, comments on this, where he said that. Well, I'd say maybe the smartest thing that the governor has done is to ignore uh, the budget fight from last year. I mean, in his state of the state, he all but you know, skipped over the fact that the, governor, that the legislature overrode his veto mm-hmm. of the spending bill from last year. And he seems to have moved beyond that, you know, for a governor, like I, I give him a, a lot of grief for his unforced errors, but that was a really smart strategic decision just to move on from that. And then I think that his comments, along with the Senate chairman of appropriation, Roger Thompson's comments, urging, you know, this is good news, but we need to move forward with caution. And we need to be thinking about uh, investments in infrastructure. And we've gotta be very careful about how we obligate spending based on one-time dollars that aren't gonna be recurring as part of our revenue. That's that's some really smart messaging, uh, and I think uh, a good way to look at this good news is optimistic, but but cautiously so. Neva,
0: well, and I and I think all of that uh, is correct when we think about the budget and having an extra uh, one point two billion dollars uh, that has uh, not been previously appropriated. Certainly, good news, but we have to, as as Ryan said, when we think back to last year's budget, uh, the fact that it was built on the back of more than a billion dollars in one-time funds i mean money money that came in that was not recurring so um as as we see this as has been described a rosier picture of the of the budget forecast i think the fact that we're hearing out of the uh uh, house appropriation uh chairman that uh that that they expect to take a look at uh, things like targeted investments and agencies um replenishing reserves and 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 certainly have raised the uh, you know raised the idea of possibly considering tax relief uh, and, and the speaker's office uh, has done th- done that as well I think we've seen a little less enthusiasm in that that conversation on the Senate side and as uh, you know Ryan described uh, the uh, Senate Appropriations chairman Roger Thompson seems to um, you know be you know painting a much more cautiously optimistic picture and uh, and talking about um, things looking down the road, such as now we begin as a state to pay for Medicaid expansion, which uh, price tags somewhere between one hundred and sixty five and two hundred million dollars a year. Good news is we're not going to be scraping around and, and uh, you know, uh, moving dollars back and forth and looking um, uh, at, at that difficulty in the budget consideration this year but going forward even though we are seeing an uptick even modest gains in the oil price uh, outlook uh, for uh, for for this year and next i mean it's certainly uh, good news uh, employment uh, up in the state i mean a lot of the things that are you know on the very you know on a very positive note but i think as they really in in some weeks down the road as they really get down to uh, dealing with the brass tacks of the budget and going through this process there is going to be i think some real give and take out of the governor and you know senate and house leadership on what they ultimately want to see and i think part of that will certainly be doing what they what they've done uh previously and that is making sure that they don't spend every dollar that they have just because uh just because it is there and available and i think uh i think that prudent uh the course that they've taken in the past certainly has uh, put us in a in the place where we've been able to weather some of these difficult uh, uh, budget uh, sessions um and and i think uh, i'm optimistic i mean at least from what is what has been said what has been uh, um you know kind of rolled out in the in the the uh, budget forecast and some of the numbers that have uh, that have just kind of early on been put out there i think that uh, uh, the bottom line is that uh, we are, we're in a good place for the economy to continue to grow and, uh, and hopefully prosper. And this will be good news for the budget writers as well as for the people of Oklahoma.
1: Health groups are suing Oklahoma over its move to partially privatize Medicaid. They are asking the Oklahoma Supreme Court for an injunction against the Health Care Authority moving forward with its plan to spend $2 billion on managed care in the state. Neva, do you think the groups will be successful in their legal challenge?
0: Uh, you know, it's it, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, this is certainly, uh, you know, when you... Uh uh, you file a suit and you take it to the uh, Supreme Court. Uh, you, you, uh, you have to wait and see what uh, what occurs. But I think it is interesting when when their basic premise uh, in this suit is that it is not permissible to delegate legislative authority to an administrative agency. In this case, the healthcare authority. Um, it it seems to. It, it, I, I was. Uh, really kind of struck by the fact that if you think just recently with the Treat uh, v. Stitt uh, lawsuit, which was the one where um, the governor negotiated and entered into the new tribal gaming compacts with the Comanche Nation and the Oto um, um, Azura tribes to increase uh, gaming revenues, you know, the court came back and said that. Uh, uh, that the governor didn't have the authority to bind the state uh, into the, the these gaming cam- compacts. And if that is true, I mean, looking at uh, one of the uh, concur- the concurring um, comment uh, in that opinion by Justice Rowe, I mean, he, he seemed to be pretty forthcoming uh, in saying that to expand, in this instance, to expand gaming, that the full legislature would need to approve uh, any new games, uh, by amendment to the gaming compact, so uh, that certainly begs the question in this instance of uh, whether or not uh, there is the ability for a um, for an administrative agency to uh, be responsible for taking on the the privatization of Medicaid. So I think it's going to be a fascinating suit. We'll have to wait and see, uh, but uh, certainly you've got uh, you've got a pretty. Uh, uh, Pretty impressive list of plaintiffs that have joined together uh, to take this action. You've got the medical association, dental association, osteopathic association, uh, the anesthesiologist, and the pediatric association. So it's a it it certainly there is a concerted uh, effort on the part of uh, the plaintiffs to uh, push this to the court and see what kind of resolution comes about.
2: Ryan. You know, and you know, impressive group of plaintiffs. Uh, the plaintiffs' counsel, uh, John Steiner, and then former state senator Anthony Sykes uh, are our counsel on this case. And you know, I encourage folks to to go to OSCN.net, which, by the way, Oklahomans, we are so fortunate to have the uh, the, the courts um, the the courts provide this legal research service to us. Our uh, our service, uh, and just a plug for OSCN.net, real quick, the Supreme Court Network is so much better than what other states enjoy and what other lawyers and and the public enjoy in terms of being able to go on and quickly find this information. But if you can find this, it's the State Medical Association, and then all of these other plaintiffs, V. Kevin Corbett, who's uh, in his capacity as the CEO of the Oklahoma Healthcare Authority. Go look it up. The briefs that have been filed by Steiner and Sykes uh, are, uh, if nothing else, a wonderful history of how we got to where we are today with this issue. Um, You know, going back from the inception of uh, Medicare and and Medicaid uh, to the late '90s when, and mid '90s when the state of Oklahoma was looking at a possible uh, managed care experiment itself, and what the legislature's authority that they gave to the health care authority then may or may not mean for its current authority, Um, and you know, the the issues, the two issues that the plaintiffs are resting their entire case on are one. did the legislature at some point uh, give the healthcare authority the, uh, the, the authority to negotiate and enter into these managed care contracts? Um, and two, even if they did give them that authority, did the healthcare authority have to promulgate rules uh, that set the, the terms of how they would negotiate these contracts, how they would select these contracts, how they would oversee these contracts? Um, and the plaintiffs argue that if one or both of those uh, things did not happen, that the healthcare authority's actions here exceeded what they're allowed to do by law. Uh, I think that this is a, a really interesting case. Uh, the court will almost, the Supreme Court will almost certainly, uh, you know, uh, take original jurisdiction of this if they haven't already. Uh, and um, I anticipate that they'll move quickly. Uh, you know, the court recognizes that there's there's a lot riding on this. If if they allow this to move forward. And I say act quickly. They're going to act quickly on, on whether or not to, to stay. Uh, you know these these contracts mm-hmm. because if they allow these contracts to go forward, even the plaintiffs admit that uh, having to roll things back after the the horses out of the barn could be seriously disruptive to disruptive to the delivery of healthcare in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, so it's a it's a really interesting case. Um, and it talks a lot about some of the issues we've spoken a lot about on this program about separation of powers, as we've seen the executive branch in the state of Oklahoma that includes the Oklahoma Healthcare Authority exerts more and more power over state government in recent years.
0: Well, and, and I think the the urgency that you talk about, Ryan, is is an important point. I mean, these health groups uh, filed suit in the, the Oklahoma Supreme Court. Uh, to seek an injunction against moving forward with managed care and the timeline that the managed care, the folks that are operating uh, with the idea that they're going to be part of this process right now uh, are supposed to be operational by October 1st of this year. Mm. And that may, you know, right now seem like a long way away. But uh, when you think about all of the things that have to occur to begin to um, uh, put in place this whole new system of Medicaid, uh, Medicaid management, it's a it's a daunting uh, task for, uh, you know, for these groups to be thinking about. So um, I think it will be interesting to see how quickly the uh, uh, how quickly we see some action on this one way or the other.
1: Tulsa-based My Health is trying to appeal its bid denial to run the state's health information exchange. We've talked about this organization several times since the Oklahoma Health Care Authority awarded a national company the job, despite its bid coming in $30 million more than My Health. The appeal is under consideration by the Director of Oklahoma Management and Enterprise Services after already being denied by the state purchasing director, Ryan, do you give my health much of a chance of winning this appeal?
2: I think that uh, it, it's hard to it's hard to you know put uh, to put odds on on their their success here. I think that um, a lot will determine will be determined whether or not it stays with. The, uh, the state purchasing director and, and their ability to review this or whether it's assigned out to an administrative law judge. I think that this is probably the first step in a, in a longer uh, piece of litigation. Uh, you, you've got to exhaust your administrative remedies here and that's exactly what they're doing. You know they're, they're going to appeal here and if they lose uh, they'll you know I think you know go perhaps either to uh, an ALJ or straight to district court and say we've exhausted all of our administrative remedies that are available to us and we need a court to start taking a look at this. And I think that you know, once it gets to a district court, which I, I imagine given the, the gravity of uh, both this, the gravity in terms of the, the dollars involved in this contract, but also the gravity in terms of the delivery of services uh, to patients and healthcare providers in the state of Oklahoma, um, I, I think that there's a recognition uh, that if, the, if, if My Health loses on this, uh, this appeal and the contract doesn't go to them, that it does create a lot of upheaval and uncertainty and p- possible gaps in services and information that could be critical to to the people of Oklahoma, especially uh, as we are uh, grappling with a pandemic. So um, I, I, you know, when, when it gets to the district court level, that's where I think things could get really interesting because you can have more discovery uh, and the the ability to, to dig into, you know, what, what happened in these conversations, you know, how do they select this criteria? Um, and it, as they have pointed out, that even though they had a, a second bid that came in tens of millions of dollars less, even their first bid uh, was less uh, than the person than that group that got this, and um, and and then they also had the demonstrated uh, the demonstrated record of providing this information services to to the people of Oklahoma already. So there there is a huge question mark uh, for Oklahomans about how they didn't win this bid, um, and uh, I. I, I think that this, like I said, this is the start of uh, a long piece of litigation here because um, or a longer piece of litigation here because the stakes are just so high.
1: Neva.
0: Well, I think uh, you're right. I mean, when you look at this group, uh, My Health Access Network, I mean, it, they have to they do have to go down this road in terms of uh, uh, the potential for uh protracted legal, you know, uh, legal recourse. But when you this group, I mean, as we've talked about uh, previously, I mean, they have been operating in Oklahoma for 12 years. This nonprofit has grown to hold 80 percent of all of the health records generated in the state. Now there is this uh, there's been this bid process and a decision to move to a new vendor. And I think they are laying out the case. I mean, if you look in the appeal itself, I mean, they make the point very strongly that uh, in in their words, it is not mere sour grapes. I mean, they are contending that the the bid evaluation process, the criteria, the way the 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 way the bids were weighted, um, all of all of that, they contend was flawed, and that there were insufficiencies. Um, and also uh, have uh, contended that the purchasing director's decision uh, came back with a very superficial response. So, um, th- so there will be this give and take back and forth it will go through in all likelihood some um, lengthy legal process I would assume and you would have to wonder um, if in fact uh, if in fact they do not prevail they do not uh, uh, ultimately uh, either have bids redone whatever occurs uh, that they set the stage p- to put a lot of pressure on the new vendor, to be able to produce on the timeline that is uh, that is certainly ambitious, that best for any you know for uh, anyone taking this on. And so I, th- I think this is a conversation that we'll continue to uh, to have and to have a, and to uh, uh, see a lot of things uh, begin to roll out. You're right, uh, Ryan, in terms of discovery and and the whole the, the whole. Um, process as that gets much more involved becomes uh you know becomes a, a very challenging you know time time issue and money issue uh you know for uh, the state as they have to uh, as, as they have to deal with this and certainly um in the case of the health care authority i mean their plates are uh, fairly loaded right now and this is just one more you know one more big piece on the on the table that they're going to have to deal with
2: you know, I know the governor just went on vacation in New Mexico, but it's really the Oklahoma Healthcare Authority lawyers that, <laughs> that are going to need a vacation. uh as soon as as they can take a break they're the ones that that deserve a ski trip uh because you know between between this uh between between the health information exchange litigation and the managed care litigation and then also i'm sure that they're also very busy on the uh the implementation of medicaid expansion i mean that's a that is a busy legal shop right now uh for for a state agency and i don't care what side of uh of all of those issues you're on uh to, to be a to be a public, uh, uh, employee, uh, attorney, um, they, are not getting paid nearly as much as their counterparts, uh, over on the private sector side of this. So yeah, again, whatever side you're on, on this, you know, uh, give, give some sympathy to those, those lawyers over at the healthcare authority, because they are just working their butts off.
0: And remember, this is coming from a lawyer. That's yes, exactly. <laughs>
1: uh even Ryan's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff or management. Programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at KOSU.org.